tonight. Simon forgets to do an iTunes review. Alex forgets to do an entire segment. And both of them try and justify Microsoft points. Hello everyone, and welcome to the 11th Wiki Game Guides Comcast. I'm Simon Wu. And I'm Alex Miller. And um, basically we're going to start off this week uh, by telling you guys about a bunch of changes that we have been making and a lot of new and exciting things that we're doing. Uh, first of all, this is the first podcast since we launched the weekend short takes that we talked about in the last Comcast. And so, if you haven't already seen it, it's a weekly review every Friday of a couple of pieces of tech news, gaming news, that we thought were interesting and that the community would be interested in. And there we've got uh, opinions from myself, Alex, and occasionally a member of the community. Yeah, as it says in the original short take, we did a, a brief preface before it, but we'll just sort of reiterate that we got a lot of comments for, on the Comcast, people asking about more recent news, breaking news, etc. And as Simon have set out from the beginning, we both decided that we weren't going to cover breaking news because that just wasn't what our podcast was going to be about. But we also said that we were going to add content and other features as we went on, sort of dictated by the community. As those sort of as those two features went head to head, and we originally thought it couldn't be rectified, we decided, hey, we'll start a new weekly news roundup called the Weekend Short Takes. And as Simon said, just short little snippets, just get right to the news. Maybe a little bit of our our thoughts and analysis in there, but those might be uh, springboards for later topics for the Comcast. But that way, you're getting your breaking news in a way that doesn't jeopardize the integrity of our podcast. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, firstly, the fact that we now have two different things going on meant that either one of them was going to have to be called part of the other or we're going to have to make a bigger brand. And so we decided that it wouldn't make sense for the Comcast or Short Takes to either be bundled into the other. And we're making this new overarching brand called Game Insight. And so it's providing insight into gaming, and that's what we think we're doing pretty well. Um, we have a website, gameinsight.org, and there's basically everything that we do on Wiki Game Guides there as well. Now, the difference is that um, for us to be put on the front page of Wiki Game Guides, I have to tell Dan or John, and then they use their admin controls to put the post on. Now, sometimes what happens is there's something that we want to change or there's something that, ah, that one little error there that I need to go and fix. The problem is there's a glitch with the site where if we fix it, it drops off and becomes one of the boring blogs, which means it's not in front there for everyone to see. So that means we just kind of have to live with it and let the uh, problem stand. So... GameInsight.org is the authoritative place where all of the fully featured and corrected um, posts are. Because one of the issues we run into a lot is we, we're sort of scrambling, frantically trying to edit everything, get it all together, and put it out as quickly as possible for you guys. Just try and keep it consistently in our, in our release times. But the issue we run into is, as Simon says, there may be a... A, a minor error here, or we uh, write something incorrect in the uh, in our comments below, and so we can't really fix it. So what we'll do is we'll have sort of our, our two-system approach. Obviously, we'll continue to put everything up on Wiki Game Guides. That way, you guys get access to it as quickly as possible. But just as a another another site you can visit, uh, maybe later on once it drops off the front page when more videos have come in and sort of moved it down. That way you can check out some of our old stuff and see if we've updated it in any way. Right. Now, the final thing that we had to say that's kind of new and exciting around here is that you can now help support us. 
um, because we have ads on our website. Now, before I say that, Google strictly forbids us from either clicking on our own ads or from any way, in any way encouraging you to click on those ads. So we're going to pull a John Stewart, Stephen Colbert, strictly non-coordinating super PAC and say that in a strictly factual basis, performing certain actions on advertisements on GameInsight.org will generate pecuniary remunerations, which might completely coincidentally compensate for the creation of this new website and hosting. Again, I must stress, those two things are completely separate and distinct elements. We are in no way corroborating the two or suggesting that they are related. So there you go. But if somehow certain actions were to take place, we would completely indirectly to any actions be very grateful that's correct so for the google person that is listening out there we did not say anything so with that said we've got a lot of exciting things and so one of the most exciting things is hearing what you guys have to say to us now this was a bit of a light couple of weeks probably because we made the bad decision of releasing podcast and the first short takes immediately right before the uh, two chimps and all the Darksiders 2 information kind of exploded and went big. So uh, we're, we've got a couple of things, but not, not a whole lot this week. So, Alex, let's get started. Yep, why don't we? First of all, we're, we'll start off with a comment, The actually the only comment on the first short take, and as Simon said, that's most likely because it sort of went up in the middle of quite a few other things. So hopefully you guys will start to notice it popping up on the news feed on Wiki Game Guides. It'll be every Friday, probably sometime early afternoon. And yeah, we'd love it if you guys would read it and comment. But Scumbag Ben says, much faster than digging through pages to find info on games coming out this year. Minesweeper will have achievements. Holy shit. Great post with interesting discussion. Keep it coming. And so, that, I mean, that, that is sort of the reaction we're going for, sort of short, to-the-point news, a little bit of analysis, maybe something you didn't know, and just keeping it coming. Right, and John Phoenix, who was the guest commentator for that first one, might actually be joining us for more things, including more short takes and podcasts in the future. So we're excited for that possibility. Yeah, because one of the one of the great things about having our own brand now, the whole game inside. And sorry, Simon, to jump back to this, but it allows us to you know branch out a little bit, try a couple of new things, and we have a couple of things in the pipeline. We're thinking about adding new features and new content, et cetera, in the coming weeks, months, whatever, just to you know make things more interesting and uh, see what we can provide. Exactly. Their next uh, comment comes from Soul Affluxion, our sole comment on the last podcast, who said, great podcast as always. Thank you for supporting us. I think once the new console generations are out, the PC will once again take a back seat. For too many people, it's too comfortable to stick with consoles. Back in the day, it was a real hassle for me to find games my PC could run. This problem doesn't exist with consoles. I really wish the PC would again be the most popular gaming system, but unfortunately that won't happen. I think the only way the PC could get back in the saddle would be to become more console-ish. Gamepad support for more games, easier installation, etc. Or even more people will leave the PC. So, we talked a bit about this last week, or last podcast, about how... PC makers, the game makers, are experimenting with ways to install faster, like streaming initial content to you so you can get right in the action, improve gamepad support, like I've just seen while playing Fallout New Vegas on the PC. And hopefully with Windows 8 and the Xbox Windows news that we actually covered in the first short takes, um, that way 
it will provide an easier and simplified way for you to understand quickly what games your PC can support and have the full Xbox Live connectivity, party chat system, messaging, and achievements crossed with Windows Phone and the Xbox. And so hopefully what we're seeing is all three of these concerns realized. Yeah, my only hope is that in this, I don't know, I don't know if you call it a quest, but this aim to try and make PCs more console-ish, as Soulflexion says, my only hope is that the PC doesn't lose its quote-unquote soul uh, in the quest to try and make it, you know, easier to use. Yes. So our next one is the soul email that we've gotten, which says, Hey guys, I recently found the podcast while kicking around on the site, and it's great stuff. Disciplined and focused, something a lot of other podcasts seem to lack. Anyways, I just wanted to pitch my support in with this article that I recently read online. It fits in perfectly with the DLC discussion you had with John. It's a lead director from Bioware talking about day one DLC. Oh boy. IGN quotes him as saying, quote, Contrary to what you might hear on the internet, said Mello, I guess the guy, fans do want more content. They tend to say, I want it now. The problem with day one content and the challenge around it is that the right answer for now is different for every player. There is no single right time, there is no single now. It's subjective, and it's unique to every player. Yeah, I mean, going back to the discussion, I can't remember if it was the last podcast or the one a couple months before where we talked about nostalgia, but this is the exact same thing. A lot of things about games are highly subjective, highly relative to the individual person, and so when it comes to these mass market games with these developers trying to make an individual experience for so many people, it's a lot of challenges and I think it's a, a lot of pressure on them causing a lot of the criticism we see. Yeah, we can see this in terms of, uh, I'm going to go use an analogy here, uh, PC versus Mac. Okay, Microsoft caters to 1.3 billion people around the world. And for that, there's always going to be a lot of criticism, no matter how universal they try to make it, how much they try and make sure that enterprise, consumers, everyone's focused, in, you know, factored into the equation. But yet, oh, go ahead. Yet, for each of those one complaints, there's fifty, a hundred, a thousand, whatever the number may be, users who are using this the product with no problems. And as we've often said before, it's always you know it's the squeaky wheel that gets the oil. Yeah, but then we, well, that's basically the crux of the argument, which you've taken from me. But <laughs> I was going to go on and say that uh, the reason Mac seems to get such a spotless review is that its install base. I think they recently prided themselves on six hundred, no, sixty. Excuse me, sixty million for their latest uh, operating system. Um, and so there, there's a difference in scale by magnitude. And yeah, what is, I mean, what is that? Is that's, that's like less than half of a percent of the PC's overall users? Exactly. That's, it, there's no contest between the two. And that's why it's always going to be the law of averages that you're just going to have so many more complaints because it's just such a bigger game. Now, the uh, person continues on to saying, I think more revealingly and more importantly, he said that paid DLC as it currently exists is going to be phased out in favor of what John suggested, that is, the free-to-play model with in-game purchasing. And then, quote, as soon as you start having microtransactions in your game, you're now operating within a free-to-play or social space. In which case, introducing any kind of a gate, like an online pass that limits how many people can get into that microtransaction space, may actually work against you. And this is something we talked about before with John, but games like Lord of the Rings Online and before that Dungeons & Dragons Online both started this free-to-play MMO model and before that, their subscription 
uh, they're like, I think the number of subscribers was way, way down from launch day. But as soon as they brought in these policies, it, you know, in a, in a way revived them and brought them up into, you know, rather successful franchises. Same thing happened with Star Trek Online, where the game was about to be, you know, defunct. It was not selling well at all. It goes free to play. You know, it's still still on the on the Steam Store as one of those free to play games with in game transactions. And now we see uh, the Old Republic. I'd say the biggest MMO right now, other than World of Warcraft, is also transitioning to having this free to play model. So I think it's something we see more and more. And I think the I don't know if this is the uh, the art. No, it's the person they're quoting here. I think they're they're spot on in saying that when it's free to play you give yourself a much wider base from people to draw from and that way people can contribute whatever they feel is appropriate for them. Yeah, and I'll finish what he has to say and I've got a couple of points myself. Quote, as soon as you start having... Uh, wait, no, already finished that. A key tenet of microtransactions is it allows players to spend what they want when they want to. This is a really powerful force and concept. They're not capped unlike one-time DLC purchases. If you have five DLCs, even for the most ardent fan, they will only ever be able to give you $50, let's say. With microtransactions and consumables and things of that nature, potentially you may get less, but you may have more players able to do that. There's also a lower barrier to spend compared to most fixed-price items. Like I said, it's the whole pay what you want, buy what you can sort of thing. I mean, if you're, you don't want to go to a store and like, say you're going to Best Buy and you want to get a pack of batteries. If the only thing they have is a 40 inch plasma TV, well, you're just going to turn around and go back out the store because there's nothing there that you're going to buy. But if they have your, your pack of batteries, your remote, whatever you want to get, that's, you know, more specific to you, you're going to walk out of there. And I think these co- these companies are finally starting to see that it's a lot better to get the five, ten, fifteen dollars, whatever it may be, for the hat or the gun or the map, versus going and saying, "Well, you can only buy all of these things together for X price." Right. And first, I want to thank the uh, listener for the fantastic find because the answers might not be the ones we necessarily want to hear especially coming from Bioware and where they're at right now. But uh, to come out directly and tell us their rationale and motivations, at least for Day 1 DLC and the like, uh, it's refreshingly different to see the newer companies like Bioware, Ubisoft, Bungie, Valve, to be the ones taking the lead in being open and transparent with gamers, their audience, since... uh, as a matter of fact, they really are gaming studios run by gamers. They're not the corporate types like your EA and Activision, which are a clear sign of trying to just get as much money from you as possible. And he said that this transition from the DLC to microtransaction model will occur, but it's going to be interesting to see how it can cross-apply to a game like Mass Effect or Dragon Age, things that I don't think necessarily are conducive to the kind of current concept of microtransaction and that is how john described it is something's happening and then you pay to make it take less time and so that kind of concept of waiting on something and that type of thing isn't necessarily what we're seeing uh in the dynamics of a triple a title so unless episodic gaming is about to make a huge comeback from dlc which was a successor itself to episodic content, I'm not sure how exactly this transition is going to occur. Well, yeah, Simon, you notice all of the examples I gave and all the things we've been talking about in reference to microtransactions have all been MMOs, these online games where you can take shortcuts or get extra companions or whatever for the price. I think if you're looking at something like Mass Effect or Dragon Age for, uh, I mean, I think what John says there is a a valid point. You're just making it take less time. But, I mean, something you could think about is more costumes and things like that. We saw that a little bit in Mass Effect 2 where you could download different 
armor types or things like that from the Cerberus store. It's sort of these these cosmetic things. And I mean, Valve has seen that in their Team Fortress 2 franchise. That's been wildly fantastic, you know, very successful for them. All I'm hoping is that the pass model, the online pass model that he described, which you're talking about all these MMOs going free-to-play, I was thinking more along the lines of the Cerberus network and these $10 multiplayer pass codes that really EA is putting in right now. Well, as long as uh, GameStop and Game Crazy and these, you know, I, I don't know, I don't want to call them aftermarket, but these game resellers, you could say, these people who are in the used game market, as long as they continue to thrive on this business model of used games, um, unless companies decide to be more generous and decide to put the gamers over profit, which with the, especially with the corporate types that you talked about, like EA and Activision, I don't see that happening anytime soon. I think those passes are here to stay until they either work out some sort of compromise or devise a better system that works for them. Well, uh, GameStop's profit is down 32%, and they were voted one of the worst companies to work for, so perhaps we might see that going away soon. Who and knows? then maybe something will happen along the lines of transitioning, but uh, for now, let's not dwell on that, because it's time for the Dixical segment. Or, well, real quick, we did have one iTunes review oh, that's right. since the last podcast, and we'd like to go ahead and thank a poll 5148 for writing this is one of if not the best gaming podcasts out there simon and alex do a great job and are quite often on task if you are wondering whether to subscribe my recommendation is a definite yes and i just like to point out to uh to listeners that it's actually alex and simon just you know alphabetically that's how it comes has nothing to do with the fact that i want to be first that couldn't be farther from my mind just reminding you and this was our quite often on task bit, as he said. <laughs> yes, so now, the Dixical segment. Um, so, since the last podcast, I have been playing uh, a lot of Fallout New Vegas. I'm approaching the end game there. That's on the PC. But on the Xbox, I have been going absolutely crazy over Minecraft because I'm working on a cooperative map with a couple of other people, just hammering away at that non-stop constantly. Alex? Yeah, I've been playing a, a little bit of Minecraft. I've been contributing from time to time to that group of people, though I have not been present for the entirety of it. So it's, it's kind of funny. I'm hopping in, helping with one thing, and come back a week later, and the entire map is different. I'm like, well, shit, which project am I on now? But, you know, I've been doing a, a little bit of things of my own in Minecraft. Uh, I've been playing... Assassin's Creed. Finally, I've decided. Well, I'm not. Obviously, at this point, I'm not going to get through the whole series in the summer. I've just been too busy. But I'm going to be damned if the summer's over and I don't get to finish the first game. So, I'm almost done with that. Just about to finish that. And on the computer, been playing a little bit of uh, Fallout New Vegas. I'm, you know, a ways behind you because I stopped. I'm actually saving that for later because I'm about to. Uh, head out in a, a couple of weeks and not going to have access to my Xbox for a little while. So, saving my computer games for then. Alright. And now for our first topic of today, which is next-gen trash can. And no, we're not making fun of next-gen walkthroughs or anything like that. Uh, what it is, actually, is that we spend a lot of time talking about exactly what we want in the next generation of consoles. For example, we want the latest processors, we want more RAM, we want an SSD, we want better Wi-Fi, it should always be on, it should have low power consumption, slimmer profile, etc., etc. But we felt that it was an equally important discussion to have, and that is, what shouldn't be in the next consoles? Or what shouldn't happen with the next generation of consoles because it's key to make sure that mistakes aren't repeated and that an improved product isn't tempered by utter disappointment that a nagging problem we had with this generation just wasn't addressed. 
And so, since we always seem to put the Xbox first, we'll start with PlayStation this time. So, most crucially to the PlayStation, it can't be a PC, in that it can't take an hour to start a game. Because PlayStation is a console, obviously. It needs to act like a console. It needs to be plug-and-play. As we have discussed before, that's one of the major draws of a console, is that you're not sitting down at a PC, you're not taking an hour, two hours, three hours, installing a game, setting everything up before you can play. Unfortunately, for a lot of games on the PlayStation, that has been the case, because you'll have to sit down and you have to install an update. You know, even day one, there's the 1.1 patch coming out, and you have to first put in the game, install it, then download the update, then install that, and then, you know, 30 minutes later, you can play. And that's for a day one release. Heaven forbid you miss a AAA title, and you're having to come back to it, you know, say you missed it in November, and you're coming back and playing it in May or June. You, you know, you could be there for an hour or longer just installing each update. Because they don't do it, like the updates aren't stacked into one. You First you have to install 1.1, and then 1.2, and then 1.3. And you have to download that update, and then install it, and then download the next one, and install it. And it's just, going, it's just frustrating and time-consuming. That can't happen in the next PlayStation. Otherwise, they're in deep trouble, because then you lose a lot of the draws of a console. Exactly. Now... Another important key to make, and this isn't with the console necessarily itself, but more with Sony and how they approach launch, and that is it needs to not be so expensive out of the gate. Now, I know there is a certain cost associated with being the first product and that products usually get cheaper as you scale, ramp up production, and as it gets longer in the life cycle, as the uh, technology gets more uh, cheaper, but uh, it launched A, very expensively, but B, behind the Xbox 360, and one could argue that with a combination of those two factors, it has ne- it never caught up to the Xbox, still hasn't, and probably never will. Yeah, one of the problems with it is that, you know, now the price isn't that bad, but for a very long time, straight out of the gate and for several months beyond that, the price was, to some, prohibitively expensive. It just it couldn't be justified to anyone who you know had you know a couple hundred bucks just laying around. You know, so you got two, three hundred bucks. Well, you'll blow all of that on just the console, or you can buy an Xbox and get a couple of games for it. So, in that scenario, Xbox is always going to win. Going forward, Sony needs to recognize the fact that no matter what you do, consoles are always going to be loss leaders. You're never going to make your money back on hardware alone. However, where you do make your money, obviously, in that situation, is on software. And what is better, trying to sell your software to a small market share or to a large market share? Sony needs to do their best to try and get their product out the gate as quickly as possible. But not only that, they need to get it to as many people as possible. So if they just accept the fact that they're going to take a loss on it initially, they may just maybe make their money back in the long term in terms of uh, commission and percentages made off of software sold to a larger PlayStation base, not to mention you know, more in-house exclusive titles. Yeah, and really another thing that we're seeing here with the PlayStation was another major concern that it had was that it was very hard to develop for because of the code base and exactly what the APIs were for the uh, drivers that were needed for the various components on the device. And by the way, I'd like to remind uh, our listeners that whatever Gabe Newell is saying right now about Windows 8 being a catastrophe and all, he also then said back then that, quote, the PS3 is a total disaster on so many levels. I think it's really clear that Sony lost track of what customers and what developers wanted. This was in Game Informer. He continued, quote, I'd say even at this late date, they should just cancel it and do a do-over. Just say, 
this was a horrible disaster and we're sorry and we're going to stop selling this and stop trying to convince people to develop for it. Yeah, this is a, uh, a little awkward. Uh, obviously, this is a, a quote from a little while ago. But it's a little awkward considering the relationship that Valve now has with PlayStation, seeing as they released Steamworks onto the PlayStation platform. So, I mean, maybe this was just a hyperbolic statement, you know, and just say, you know, maybe he was blown a little out of proportion. Exactly. That was, uh, I mean, I guess you can, you can always be a bit hyperbolic about whatever the latest news is coming out because obviously that's what you want to do. If you get a giant honking headline that says, Gabe Newell slams PS3, calls it a total disaster, or what we saw, what we're currently seeing now with Gabe Newell calls Windows 8 a catastrophe. That's what gets quoted. That's what gets put to the top of every gadget blog, every game blog, and things like that. And so, well, it's it's kind of obvious to see why they he would do it. But again, a take a grain of truth with a grain of salt with whatever he's saying. Uh, but b Sony does need to take to heart that it was in fact very hard to at first develop for the PlayStation Three. And this is a kind of a tie-in with one of our short takes. Like I said before, we'll maybe use that as a, a testing ground or a launching board for some later podcast discussions. But one thing Sony needs to make sure they specifically address and speci- specifically address in a positive way, don't just blow it off, is that they need to make sure that they don't make a total mess of their mobile initiatives. Because if they're going to try and do pl- cross-platform tie-ins and incentives in that way, the customer can't be left in the lurch. Because in the past, we've seen just complete messes in the form of the PlayStation phone. I mean, that was a disaster, Simon. But as we see them go forward with these partnerships with Android developers and uh, release on say like Black Ops, like we said in the short takes, they're going to be releasing that on both the PlayStation 3 as well as the PS Vita for a single download. So that's a sign of positive things to come, potentially, but they need to make sure they continue to address it in a positive way. Another thing that I think they should be key to make is if they're going to make these cross-buy initiatives and these cross-compatibility initiatives that... Now, by doing so, you're inextricably tying these two platforms together, and that means they should have the same life cycle. They should age the same way. I know I had a a couple of friends who had PlayStations, the PSP, who also played on the PS3 and were pretty much shafted when PlayStation kind of, or Sony dumped the PSP and then moved on to the Vita. Now, of course, they got the Vita and got on with the program, but uh, it was very jarring for them, and it felt almost like a, quote, betrayal, as some of them told me, that they'd invested all this money in Sony's system, and they really wanted to see it all the way through. Now, I can understand Sony's need to reboot its mobile because the console just needed to catch up with where smartphones are, but uh, this is a concern that Sony should look to coming forward, that these you aren't going to now stagger the life cycles of your mobile and your console when you're promising that they're going to have the same games and they're going to be tied in. You're going to get trophies and unlockables across each other. So moving on now to the Xbox, I guess if you could say the PlayStation needs to make sure it doesn't cost the you know ridiculous amounts that you say that's sort of their their number one goal number one goal for Microsoft with the next Xbox is that it needs to suck less straight out of the gate they can't have the rampant i don't know if it's going to have a similar ring but if y'all remember the Xbox 360 had a ridiculous problem with the red ring of death i don't as a side, i don't remember the particular failure rate i don't know if you might have it on hand but it was something ridiculous, the number of Xboxes that were failing because of this one problem. So 
something to address, I guess, that specific problem, because in that case it was overheating, you need to make sure they don't have insufficient cooling system for the next system. And this is something they partially addressed in the Xbox 360 Slim, has better fans, has better venting, so hopefully we can continue to see that in the next Xbox, where it has even better fans with even better noise reduction. And going on to noise reduction, hopefully we get a better power adapter. Something we saw with the original Xbox 360 is it had a brick, a massive power-sucking vampire of electricity that was just monstrous to look at, monstrous to use, monstrous to listen to. It was not fun. With the Xbox 360 Slim, they made it smaller, had far far smaller uh, power suck, and it was also much quieter, generally. Hopefully, as I said before, we continue to see a trend of smaller, quieter, maybe if we're lucky, not even there at all. Yeah, everyone remembers that there was the Red Ring of Death, the most infamous of them all, but beyond that, there were also the scratching of the discs. You'd put it in, and if you moved it slightly your disc would be shot to pieces. The perfect circle problem. Yes. You'd have this nice little ring of complete scratch on your game disc be rendered useless. There were problems with E74, that software error, problems with when the new Xbox experience came out, if we remember, oh so long ago, right after Blades, there was this series of kind of flat rectangular tiles but they were arranged in kind of a 3D pattern, not the 2D metro pattern that we have now, or the, kind of the 2D, 3D interim between the, the new Xbox experience and the interface formerly known as Metro uh, that we're seeing kind of were between those builds. There were also failures with accessories. I remember that intercooler thing that you could attach onto the back that would make it less hot. Those would... F- kind of through the excessive heat fuse to the device and would also fail and cause the power supply to just go completely dead. But um, you were asking about stats earlier, Alex, and uh, general estimates around the launch of the Xbox peg the failure rate anywhere from about a quarter to up to even over half of initial units failed. And so... That's something that I'm pretty sure Microsoft understands, and they're definitely keen to not repeat. I mean, Sabna, I know this is a, uh, a bit of a small sample size, but between the two of us, I know we're at least over 50% because I've had two Xbox, th- two Xbox 360s in my life. First one failed. So I don't know if it's the, uh, the same as with you, but that's one in two users. That can't happen again. Yeah. So far, I've been lucky. I think it's because I didn't get the immediate, immediate launch, and it also wasn't one of the white ones. It was a Halo 3 limited edition console. And as you said before, you often got the limited edition consoles and then flipped them once the newest one came out to try and you know not have to soak up as much of the cost. And that way, you actually limited your exposure to each individual Xbox, and you know we don't know if those may be red-ringed further on down the line, but I guess by limiting your interaction with each Xbox, you actually save yourself maybe the time and the hassle with that. So that you know maybe that's another another bonus for limited edition consoles. Fair point. Uh, the next one that I have a particular gripe with is the stupid memory slots on the front of the Xbox. Now, by the time the Xbox Slim came around, they're pretty much like the appendix like it's a vestigial feature that no one ever uses except for like the one in 1000 person who has it bought it when the xbox 360 came out still uses it for whatever reason even though we have flash drive support and cloud saves right people remember these memory card slots they only went up to 512 megabytes and there are these dopey little things that cost a ton of money and you'd put them into these dedicated slots. That's PS2 era stuff, and given that it came out in 2005, I can understand that, but 
I've got connected to my computer as we speak a 32 gig USB 3.0 flash drive that can probably run circles around that thing basically millions of times per second. And so that's something I want to see more, that we have better compatibility with flash drives, that we don't have to format them for the speci- like the specific Xbox format. You know, you have to set aside a partition up to 16 gigs. That's also a limitation. And then basically you have to... That's your Xbox flash drive. There's no multipurpose about it. And something else that I learned rather painfully, another one of these kind of more vestigial features is that I wanted to transfer some music onto my Xbox because Xbox has a built-in music player in the uh, guide where you can play music while you play a game. So I figured uh, while I was playing like Forza or Minecraft, these games that require very low attention, no story or anything like that to pay attention to, I just listened to some of my music problem was the only way you can get music onto the xbox is burn it on a dvd put it in the tray and then rip it from the dvd to the xbox you cannot put music on a flash drive and transfer it like any sane file system or sane device all you can do is plug it in and listen to it and even then it is abysmally slow to read and play so this is an area that has got to improve by leaps and bounds. And um, this is another uh, area that I think uh, people will be interested here is that uh, the initial transition from the Xbox to the 360, I don't know if many people remember that, but I do very painfully. And not just because it would have gotten me another two years on my tenure, you know, that little uh, number above your gamer tag that shows how many years you'd been on Xbox Live, but um, also because I lost a precious DLC pack on the Xbox original, which the transition process was you had to buy a memory stick for the 360, which being a kid at the time was like prohibitive. It was like, whoa, how much money? $40? Forty dollars? Uh, no, thank you. Yeah, what do you want me to do? Fly to the moon or something? This is crazy. Yeah, little kid at the time, so I, I definitely couldn't do that. I had to say goodbye to that DLC pack, which was the one thing that they ever did to kind of enhance Battlefront Two in any way, and I lost that. It's still one of my biggest regrets every time I play that game again, which I tend to do quite often. So there's this, there's a slapdash DLC purchasing system on the Xbox. There's a slapdash hard drive kind of arrangement. They use blocks. And I never saw my block availability count go below 50,000 or whatever it was. I don't even know what they corresponded to. But, um, yeah, that's, that's that. And hopefully, you know, we've seen Microsoft doing this thing where they're unifying, tying everything together under what's called the quote-unquote Microsoft account, formerly known as Windows Live account, ties Zune, Xbox, Outlook, Hotmail, SkyDrive, all these services together. Xbox is one component of it. And then it's all going to be tied together. Hopefully this port will not be as painful, like your achievements and everything like that which is something we'll get into uh, another discussion later, how the achievement system might work for the next Xbox. Will it be the same or different? But there's a problem with that, even. And that is, if you, in 2005, you got your brand new 360, awesome, it didn't red ring. If you signed up with an old email address you happen to have at the time, just for the service... If it somehow in the interim expired, which it very well might, considering it's been seven years, then what are you going to do about it? I've heard of plenty of people who had this problem. They can't actually access the original email that they signed up for, and they're trying to figure out how to transfer it. Same thing I hear happens to a lot of people with iTunes. 
the mm. email account they originally signed up with for the Apple ID for their first generation Nano or Mini or even Classic back then, it's long gone, yet they're still paying for songs with it, it's still billed to their credit card, but there's no way they can access the email address to transfer that music onto a new computer. It's the same sort of deal. And so we're going to see what happens with the nitty-gritty and these kind of one-off exceptions, but I was a one-off exception the last time around. Let's hope that I'm not, and a lot of more people aren't this time around. And now, even though a couple people, some might suggest that all of these problems were in fact fixed eventually, and the revision of each, that's the slim consoles and new interfaces for Xbox and PlayStation made them much better, respectively, we're at another launch point. And with console sales being predicted to continue to fall at the expense of mobile, I think, and I don't know whether our listeners will agree with this or not, an impeccable launch is no less than necessity at this point. And so we'll let that topic um, go for this week. But I'd like to remind our listeners that you can get in contact with us, comment below, iTunes review, etc. But we've also, moving this new Game Insight transition, we have a new email address. It's game-insight at outlook.com. And our website, GameInsight.org, there's a Contact Us tab where it's really easy. Fill in your name or your username, kind of your topic, and then whatever you want to say to us, and we'll get it. It's really easy. And don't forget, you can still use the old email address, ComcastWGG at gmail.com. Still continue to comment below. Uh go on iTunes. Sam and I are also both on Twitter. I'm WGG underscore R-A-M. Simon is WGG underscore S-W-U. We'd love for you to follow us, tweet at us. We love having conversations over there. You'll probably notice Simon and I have a couple of arguments every week over something, usually tech, but whatever it may be. So we'd love if you guys would join in with that. And without further ado, we'll move on to our second topic of the podcast, and that is uh, something interesting and slightly disturbing that I've noticed of late. Because we all have our favorite online gaming service. I mean, this is largely dedicated by what you like to play, what kind of game that is, what genre. But it's also who you like to play with and how you like to play with them. Obviously, if you're exclusively a fan of StarCraft, then other than the fact that you will be joined mostly by South Koreans, you won't be spending much of your time on Steam for obvious reasons. Your game isn't available on there, you're not playing it through there, so you have no reason to be there. However, some of these decisions are less made for us and appear to be much more arbitrary in nature, especially when it comes between so the same content on multiple platforms. If you're just deciding, well, I can access A on B, C, or D, what makes B, C, or D better than the other two? So, I mean, many reasons are given for whichever brand you are loyal to, whichever service is your favorite. You know, a large social gamer may decide that Xbox Live is right for them because of the ease with which he or she can just go ahead and jump into a game with friends easily chat away, have a complete plug-and-play experience, pick up the controller, play, put it down, you're good to go. However, a, a more hardcore fan who's just completely and totally dedicated to having the best of everything, just going all out, playing, being the most competitive possible, and who wants to compete with a like-minded player or a like-minded group of player might choose Steam as that gaming service can be their purveyor of choice because it allows them to play against others with good matchmaking systems and similar supercar-like machines. I mean, if you have seen pictures on the internet or perhaps you own one of these monstrosities of a gaming 
computer that just has the best of everything, super cooling, you know, double video cards, whatever it is. These things are just massive, and so if you want to compete with other people who are like that, that may be the service for you. However, across many of these services, we started to see a disturbing trend of late, and that is hacking, private information access to sources outside of that service. Most recently, we've seen that Blizzard was hacked with password information and answers to security questions linked to an unknown third party. Blizzard has said that allegedly they have not lost any credit card information and that the information taken should not allow people to access others' battle.net accounts. But honestly, who knows? Blizzard said they took every action necessary to quickly shut off access to it, but at the same time, quite a few people had their information accessed by someone outside of Blizzard. And if we look back on it, this makes Blizzard the third major online gaming service to have been hacked in the last year and a half. I mean, we saw Valve have their Steam service hacked in November of last year, and of course, everybody remembers the scandal that was the PSN hacking that took place in April of last year. And what my question is, what is the reason for this, Simon? I mean, are they being targeted simply because, you know, there are these massive services, there's tons of data on there, all kinds of users. I mean, for someone who's looking for personal information or credit card information, it's a goldmine in that sense. I mean, is it an inherent flaw in such a large system that all these things come together? Or is this just a coincidence? What do you think? It's for to lulls. That's all. No, but Sony, I think PSN was the uh, anonymous. I think it was hacked by anonymous. Um, so there is a grain of truth in that. But um, in terms of the other ones, I kind of related this to the very disturbing story of that Wired author that everyone's heard of at this point whose life was completely digitally destroyed by these couple of teenagers who wanted a simpler Twitter handle, which was his. And so for such petty things as this, people are able to figure out these workarounds. And uh, obviously that one was for something kind of a trivial, stupid cause, but it completely turned around a guy's life. It Every single bit of data on his thing was lost. I think he's recovered some of it, but still the experience is not something I'd want to wish on any person. As far as why they'd want to hack these large conglomerates and data, it makes sense that all these intrusions are for credit cards, for sensitive information that people probably have very malicious intents towards. And now, I'm curious if the free nature of each of these services has any effect on these intrusions because you don't pay for PlayStation Network necessarily, unless you get the Plus, but it doesn't matter. Sony fans have long considered the free nature of PSN uh, to be superior to be Xbox Live, where you have to pay $60 a year for it, run by Microsoft, but I'm wondering if PSN is more vulnerable because of this. And I mean, the argument I've had with a lot of people, Simon, and I think you agree with me on this, is that PlayStation Network, while it is free, is not a premium service. Xbox Live, you pay for it, it is a premium service. And because of that, there are perks to it, like added protection. I mean, I just... I, I think, to me at least, the fact that you have to pay for the Xbox Live service means there's more revenue generated by it because you have the initial fee as well as the funds generated by DLC and extra extra means of income. That means they have ready capital to not only develop new things to make Xbox Live a more enjoyable experience, such as parties, such as chat and other things, 
but it also means they can work on security and just making it the best possible product. Whereas services like PlayStation Network or to a lesser extent Steam that only rely on the income from DLC and game sales, they have much less ready capital with which they're allowed to work on developing new features and as well as security features. I'd like to also add that for people who were miffed that Xbox Live Gold was moving from about $50 to $60 on Amazon, I'm literally looking at it right now. I could buy 12 months of gold for 47.98. So, you don't have to be a sucker and go out to a retail store or GameStop and buy it for the full $60. Go to Amazon first. And also, while you're on Amazon, use the Amazon link that is the bottom of every page of wikigameguides.com. Show Dan and John your support. Yep, and get them while they're hot, folks. But uh, one thing I have also was curious about, Simon, while I was, while I was writing this up is if... PSN is, like we both said, more at risk, more vulnerable because of its free nature. Is it still a better value for your money, given that there's the possible risk of the loss of your information, but the knowledge that you're not going to have to pay for it on a monthly basis in the same way you do for Xbox Live? I mean, it comes down to the argument... Do you take the risk and not pay, or do you not take it and do pay? It's sort of, I guess it's, it's in a way it's kind of like insurance, but I, I don't know. What do you what do you think? Well, if you play it conservatively, it can work to your advantage. If you had a PSN account and had a credit card that was lapsed and the breach took place, everyone was given I think five free PlayStation games, some of which were quite good, like Infamous. And so if, if that was your case, then you, the uh, thieves got a useless credit card and you got five free PlayStation games. But, Simon, let's look at the converse of that. Say you had your credit card on there and that was you know, your active credit card every day. You put it on there because you wanted to buy a map pack for Modern Warfare 2. And this happened. And then your credit card was out there, and you check your statement a month later, and you notice that a couple people in Nigeria have been buying, you know, whatever. They've been extra email servers to send out, you know, spam or whatever it is. But then, I mean, you're kind of fucked at that point because your information's gone. Yay, I mean, you got a $60 game. Someone bought a $1,000 server. I mean, like, is it is it really worth it? Well, suddenly I feel tempted to defend Microsoft's use of Microsoft Points. I know it's something that's often vilified and people despise it for what it is. This kind of, what do you mean, this this interim measure of currency? Why can't you just give it to me in straight up American dollars or whatever currency I'm using? Why do we have to use this kind of middleman? And, so, I mean, I've always played it very conservatively. I don't put my credit card information on Xbox Live just in the anticipation of a possibility of kind of some kind of security breach. And in that case, if something were to happen, they don't have anything on me. Yet I'm still able to access everything that I want from Xbox Live through the Microsoft points. I just buy all of the prepaid cards off Amazon.com, and that works for me. And so, uh, to to answer that question, I'm kind of going off on this third tangent, saying they should adopt a Microsoft Point strategy. I don't know. This conversation has taken a very weird turn. Suddenly, we we've gone from stuff getting hacked and the justification for it to finding a reasonable defense for the use of Microsoft Points. So what I'm getting out of this is. We should all invest in space bucks. Uh, yeah, that is that is correct, sir. I would invest in my Zynga Farmville dollars. And on that bombshell, we will go ahead and end this Comcast. We ask that you comment and also check out Game Minder, as Simon has 
a couple of updates for you real quick. Yeah, exactly. I was wondering if you were about to just leave our no, audience no. hanging there without knowing what kind of release dates were coming up. But again, this is our Rare Daniel segment. Never fear, Simon. I just had to get my Jeremy Clarkson fix in there. And don't, all right, I'll do it later. But this week we have uh, Counter-Strike Global Offensive. So that's interesting idea. But um, another big one is Dark Souls for PC. Uh, so firstly, John's made a fantastic guide for what could otherwise be a very, very challenging game. And he's done it completely front to back with commentary. It's pretty fantastic. Um, so Dark Souls for PC is a possibility if you want to check that out. Um, and Transformers Fall of Cybertron. Not sure what that one's about. I think it's... I don't even know if it's a tie into any of the games. But it's an Activision one. They announced it at E3. It was one of their announcements that we talked maybe for two seconds about with Dan when we had him on. Um, and it's got a, some buzz around it. I don't know. I definitely recommend, though, Counter-Strike Global Offensive and Dark Souls for PC. And it's on that bombshell that's time to end. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Good night.